Well, good morning and uh, welcome back, you guys. If you guys just rolled in this uh, past week, it is great to see you guys and to see familiar faces. We're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning, so you guys turn there. Uh, this is your first time to Southwood. Uh, let me just welcome you. Uh, my name is Trey Corey. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and uh, it is great to see so many of you guys back. We're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning and actually the rest of the semester. So as you guys turn there, uh, let me just remind you guys, uh, this week, this Tuesday night, all of our small groups will start, so it's a perfect time to get jumped in and get involved. And then also coming up this upcoming Sunday will be our first Sunday with the electives, two at 9.15 and one at 11. You guys have little flyers on your seats for each of those items. We just want to make sure you guys saw that, knew of that, and had a chance to get jumped into those things. If Sunday mornings are a little bit overwhelming for you guys, those, are some, those electives are some great spots just to find a little bit of a smaller community and get something that's connected to your stage and have a chance to kind of wrestle a little bit further on some topics. And so love for you guys to know about that. We're going to be Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 to 11 this morning. You guys will follow me, Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 to 11. Paul writes, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in, the impri- in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. We pray with me. Father God, we give you great thanks. Uh, We thank you for the extravagant riches of the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the reminder of the cross that shows us once and for all that you loved us enough to give your own son for us. Father, I thank you that in you and in your embrace, we find a satisfaction and the fulfillment that we can find nowhere else. And Father, I pray this morning, Lord, and I pray even this semester, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and that you would expose us to all the more deeply that love of Christ. And that we would find in his grip and in his embrace a richness and a depth that we could find nowhere else. Pray that you would draw us nearer this morning, that you would draw us nearer to you this semester. And that you would open our eyes to see you as you are. And that you'd open our hearts to love you as you are. And to love you above all else. And to run to you above all others and above all else. Father, I pray even this morning as we open your word, Lord, I pray that you would use me as you see fit, that you take my words and my heart and that you would use this time just as you desire. Father, I pray for so many of us, uh, no matter where we come this morning and how we arrive and whatever's on our minds, Lord, I pray that you would quiet our hearts and that you'd allow us to rest in your presence and to hear and to listen to what you have for us. Father, I pray that you take your spirit and you take this word and that you would take it into our hearts and into our lives in whatever directions that you see fit and whatever you want to do. Father, I pray you give us boldness to listen to you as you see fit, Lord. And we ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen. Well, I had a friend in high school uh, who was absolutely crazy about a girl. And so he wanted to ask her to prom his senior year. Uh, He decided he wanted to ask her out as creatively as possible to express to her how strongly he felt about her. So he hatched a plan, he devised a plan, and he put it into motion. And so this girl, this one day on this fateful day, uh, proceeds to grab her books from her locker, proceeds to head to to her car and to head off home. She leaves the parking lot of the high school, meanders through the neighborhood on her way home, and she hits the last stop sign that is right before her own home. And then she begins to pull through the intersection. She begins to pick up speed uh, on the other side of that intersection where my friend is waiting behind a parked car. Uh, Without her seeing it, without her being able to have any chance at responding, as the car pulls parallel with the parked car, he launches himself straight directly into her windshield. All right? (laughs) Um, as you can expect, she, not knowing what in the world's going on, panics, hits the brake. He lands, hits the windshield, rolls off the hood, and onto the pavement, all right? 
she screams and is mortified, pulls the car to stop, run, races out, and notices it's one of her good friends on the pavement. She's terrified. Uh, and she notices that she pulls up a little closer that his shirt is torn and there's red on his chest. Uh, and so she comes up nearby, noticing that he seems to be unconscious and yet breathing. Uh, and she's going to kind of expect the damage and see if he's wounded. Uh, and she gets near. She uh, begins to pull apart his shirt to kind of see exactly what is on his chest, where she finds three simple words. How about prom? Question mark. <laughs> all right. I, I will say I think that is probably the most creative way I've ever heard a guy ask out a girl. All right. Uh, absolutely amazing, right? Uh, so feeling so strong about her, he just launches himself and throws his own, you know, well-being out the window, right? Well, that poor guy didn't realize, though, was that about 10 minutes prior to this incident, um, someone else asked her out right at her locker, all right? Um, and, and being the quality girl that she was, the first guy that asked her out, and so she said yes and had no idea that this was lying in wait for her, Right? And so this poor guy ends up not just physically bruised, but emotionally rejected, disappointed, and just crushed, right? A guy who had a heart that was so large, threw himself out on a windshield, and yet landed it basically and became nothing more than romantic roadkill, all right? I don't know if you guys have ever landed in that spot, right? Not exactly like that, I doubt. Very few of you guys, especially you guys, have launched yourselves into windshields. But I don't know if you guys have ever been in a place in your life where you thought, you know, I feel so strongly about something, I'm going to launch my entire self towards it. I don't know if you've ever landed in that spot and then found yourself, in a sense, on the side of the road wondering, (laughs) what happened, right? (laughs) Not maybe physically battered and bruised, but maybe emotionally, in terms of your expectations, nothing materialized like you thought it would. Maybe for some of you guys, it happened after just two days of classes as syllabus after syllabus arrived and you just felt beat down already, right? Wondering, there's no hope for me this semester, right? Maybe some of you guys have launched yourselves towards people or towards things that disappointed and left you crushed and left you empty and left you broken. I don't know where you have been this morning or this year or even this Christmas break. I don't know the places that you've had to pick yourself up from and the spots that you've wondered what in the world happened. Honestly, as you think about our affections and our hearts, they are incredibly powerful things. Our hearts can launch us into things with the entirety of our well-being, and we can dismiss, in a sense, self-defense and just launch ourselves towards things, toward tasks, towards people. And what we're going to do this morning is we look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 and 11, is look at, really, in a sense, the power of our affections, the power of our heart, and where our heart can launch us towards and what it can do in our lives. And ultimately, what we're going to see this morning is Paul will talk about the affections in the heart. He's going to come at the topic really talking about godly affections. What do godly affections launch us towards? How do godly affections grow in us? And ultimately, what do godly affections do and how do they change us? I would argue and I'd submit to you guys ultimately that what you love will determine what you pursue, which will also then ultimately determine who you become. That what you love will determine what you pursue and then ultimately what you become. That's exactly where Paul is going to take us this morning in Philippians chapter 1. And ultimately, as verses 7 and 8 open up, I think what you're going to see this morning is verses 7 and 8, in a sense, kind of set up a bit like a DTR. All right, uh, Paul, if you will, if, I can, if you'll allow me the uh, privilege, will, will, in a sense, give us, in a sense, his own statement of affections for the Philippian church, all right? It's going to get, in verses 7 and 8, in a sense, a statement of affections. You're going to see Paul declare his love. You're going to see him, in a sense, come behind it and explain and try to legitimize his affections. And then lastly, you're going to see him bring about a divine witness to his affections, all right? So in a sense, verses 7 and 8, a bit like a DTR. Notice his statement, verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Paul basically declares to them, hey, here's how I feel about you guys. 
I love a little bit of what he says because I have you in my heart. <laughs> what in the world does that mean, right? Uh, as I was reading through this, this week, thinking that's just incredibly awkward language, which actually probably makes it perfectly fitting for a DTR, right? Uh, we guys really just don't know how to express our affections. We guys don't know how to, uh, in a sense, uh, express our interest. And we feel very awkward if we ever have to say the words, I love you. So we will find all kinds of concoctions to avoid that, right? Uh, Paul avoids it by saying, I have you in my heart. <laughs> kind of feels awkward to me, right? But then he's going to kind of go on and basically say, hey, here's why I feel this way about you. And he says this, because since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. The latter half of verse 7, it kind of goes back to a little bit of what we talked about last week, where we looked at really, as the book opened, the nature of Paul's relationship with this church. Paul had founded this church. He was one of the first ones that was there in the city to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. He allowed this church to, uh, in a sense, to grow and to begin, and then he's coming back to revisit it and to, and to write toward them. And if you were with us last week, we talked about the fact that the book of Philippians is nothing more essentially than just a thank you note. He's writing to them not to say, hey, guys, knock it off or, uh, or wake up or grow up. He's not coming with harshness or a spirit of correction. He's just writing to them to say, thank you. Thank you for partnering with me in this great mission that we have. The Philippians and, and Paul, in a sense, were a close-knit team. We said last week that it had committed themselves collectively to a costly mission, the Great Commission. In fact, he says the word here, partakers, it's really the same Greek word that he says in verse 5 when he says that in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day of, till now. He says in verse 5, your participation in the gospel. He says in this verse, in a sense, you are partakers of grace. Same Greek word. And what he's trying to say, in a sense, is this. You guys have gotten in tandem with me, and we've committed ourselves collectively to a great task, a great mission. We talked last week that that mission was the Great Commission. It was the declaration of good news. He says in verse 5, gospel or good news, and he says in this verse, grace. Essentially, the good news was grace. The thing that he wished upon the church was grace and peace. Well, what was grace? We said last week that grace was the reception of blessing based on unmerited favor. It was favor bestowed freely upon them. And he says, what the good news of Jesus Christ is this, is that God has given to you and I something that we did not deserve and we could not earn. That ultimately what the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that Jesus Christ was uh, crucified for you and I. He was buried and he resurrected to show that he had the power over death, over life and over sin. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the good news that they were proclaiming to the world that was at large, not just in Jerusalem and Judea and Philippi, but even to the ends of the earth, as Jesus called this church to, was to proclaim that good news. What Jesus gives you and I in terms of the opportunity to find forgiveness of sins and reconciliation is something he gives to you and I absolutely freely. You cannot do enough good works to merit the approval of God. You cannot do enough good things to make him like you or to make him think highly of you. And what had to happen was what he would do on your behalf not what you would do to make him happy. Ultimately, what he did on your behalf was that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place so that you could have forgiveness of sins and hope and peace. And so it is that good news, it is that gospel, that message of grace that is extended to the church and through the church and even to you and I, that it is the good news. And it is this good news that the Philippian church had committed themselves to alongside of Paul as he was declaring it. Uh, as he had been imprisoned for that message, the, the Philippian church had come to his aid, they had visited him. As he was on missions to proclaim that message, that good news, they had, even when it cost them, they had sacrificed and given multiple gifts so that his mission could be made, uh, it could be enabled. They were partners with him in this good message. And therefore he says, because of our history, because of our shared experience, I feel strongly about you guys. You guys have sacrificed greatly for me. And so I have an affection and I have a love for you that is unlike any other. 
In fact, really, the book of Philippians it will have a warmth to it and a personal touch to it that we don't find in any other epistle in the New Testament. Paul had a unique heart and, and affection for the Philippian church. In fact, he says that in verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love what Paul will say in verse 8. In case their shared experiences weren't enough to convince them and to legitimize his feelings, he says, Well, God is my witness. You can't argue with God. God will be a witness to this, and so don't argue with it. I love watching what a lot of guys do even as they make DTRs, uh, as they try to uh, confess their affections for a young lady, as they try to, uh, in a sense, explain the shared experiences that have mounted to that place. And then some guys uh, that are Christian guys will at times try to, uh, in a sense, throw in the God card, all right? You know, I was praying about this. God has led me to this place, grown my heart for you. And really what they don't realize that they're doing is they're basically saying, if you reject me, you reject God. Isn't that what they're doing? They don't realize it, but that's exactly what they're doing, all right? And, and for some of you guys, let me just say, Paul can do with it, you cannot, all right? Paul has apostolic privilege, and you do not. And so, in a sense, that is not chivalry, that is idolatry, because if they reject you, they're not rejecting God, right? Amen? Are you with me? All right, side note, all right, Philippians 1, you heard it here. All right, I don't know where that came from. All right, um, for God is my witness, all right? So, uh, what Paul is going to do, though, is, in a sense, this is kind of just uh, set the stage, remind us a little bit of who Paul is, who the Philippian church is. But he talked in verse 3, he talked over and over again about how, in a sense, he had a huge heart for them and he had been praying for them. Verse 9 really is the first time we find out exactly what he's been praying for them. Notice verse 9, he says this, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. His heart for them has led them to pray, has led him to pray that their heart, their love would grow and expand. Again, his concern is not just his own affections for them, but their own affections themselves, not just primarily for him, but I think even ultimately of God himself, of the church at large, and then maybe even of him. His prayer is this, that their hearts would grow, that they would deepen. It's interesting, though, how he says that he wants them to grow. He says this, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. What does knowledge and love have to do with one another? What is Paul saying? I think it's really interesting. I think you cannot have love without knowledge, but you can't have knowledge without love. In fact, I think one of the greatest distinctions between dating or marriage or, frankly, between infatuation and love is knowledge, right? Infatuation is all about an interest in someone that you don't really know. You know the idea of them, but you don't know them. Love is all about a knowledge and a pursuit of someone that you do know. Um, in fact, I was thinking back to, uh, uh, some of you guys know I'm a giant Dallas Mavericks fan. This past summer, uh, Wow. This is church, people. I'm just kidding. Um, some of you guys know Dirk Nowitzki led my beloved Dallas Mavericks to their first finals, all right? In light of Dirk's greatness, uh, we were waiting a boy to come in May, and I'm uh, pushing Marcy to name him Dirk, all right? So Dirk Corey. The guys are like, yes. The girls are like, I'm so sorry, Marcy, right? I'm just kidding. Dirk's not in the running. Um, but what you guys may have missed, it was a story that broke even a year, a year and a half prior to, to uh, last summer when they won the finals, and Dirk had a little bit of romantic troubles. Uh, some of you guys may have read the story or followed it, but essentially the girl that he was living with and seemed to be on the verge of marrying was arrested. Never good if you're looking toward marriage, right? And what had happened was, and what we found out from the story, was that she was on her fifth alias, all right? And she had a uh, prison, or she had a record, and so she had a warrant out for her, and she was arrested. And what she had been doing was this. And she would uh, buddy up next to a guy, and she would, in a sense, build a sense of commitment, eventually get access to their credit cards, run up all kinds of debt, then eventually get access to their bank accounts, run off with their money, change names, and start all over with a new guy. By the time Dirt comes around, it's guy number five, all right? Uh, she gets arrested, and then in, in prison, she begins to uh, craft a story that she's pregnant with Dirk's baby, again, putting pressure on Dirk to marry her, which we eventually find was not true. She was not pregnant. And I begin to wonder, 
Again, how in the world does that happen? <laughs> how do you live with a person that seem to be on the verge of marriage and not realize they're on their fifth alias, have a prison record, and just want your money? <laughs> how does that slip by you? How, how do you have no idea of the kind of person you are in a relationship with? You know, I think we can laugh at Dirk, and some of us have and done, but it happens to all of us, right? We have relationships all the time with people that we think they're one thing, and we find out later they're not. And sometimes it even happens for us in romantic relationships when we think that we're pursuing someone who is something and we find out later they're not. Sometimes we fall in love with the idea of someone but not the person themselves. Ultimately, love, you cannot have love without knowledge, but you can have knowledge without love. Ultimately, what love does is it presses you and I to know a person more. Marcy and I will hit 10 years of marriage. This man, I'll tell you, I've never loved her more deeply and more greatly than I do now than even when we first got married. Like marriage is never more fun now than it ever has been. And it's because I continue to know who she is and continue to grow deeper in love with her, but also deeper in knowing exactly who she is. Marriage is not stale because people are not stale because people are always evolving, changing, and you're always coming to know someone even more closely. Ultimately, the difference between infatuation and love is knowledge. Love causes you and I to pursue someone to know them more deeply. And when we know them more deeply, often what we find is we're more in love with them. And if that is true in marriage, then it is even more true in a relationship with God, right? If you and I love God, it will propel us to know him more closely. And then what we know of him and what we find of him will cause us to fall even deeper in love with him. That is what Paul is saying. Here's how I want your love to grow, Philippian church. Here's my hope for you guys, even as we pray for you guys weekly, is that your love for Jesus Christ will grow. Uh, Tyler sang and led us this morning in, in in a song, again, talking about the riches of the love of Christ that it is in his embrace that we find something that we find nowhere else. And then it causes us and propels us to know him and to pursue him and to know him more deeply. In fact, Hebrews will say this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in these last days, has spoken to us in his son. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Writer Hebrews says this, that in the Old Testament, God spoke to you and I, or to the nation of Israel, through the prophets. But now he has spoken to you and I through his son, Jesus Christ, and it is in the word of God that we have the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you and I to know God, we first and foremost have a revelation of him and his word and his character and his purposes through the word of God. This is where we come to know him. This is where we come to be drawn deeper into a relationship with him. You cannot know Jesus Christ apart from the revealed word of God. You can know things of Christ, you can know things of God, but to the extent of his purposes, his plans, his character, and his nature, you cannot know those things apart from the word of God. The word of God is our starting spot to find out who he is and to fall deeper in love with him. In fact, I I love Jonathan Edwards' work uh, called Religious Affections, and he says this about, uh, in a sense, the, the affections. Notice he says this, Holy affections are not heat without light. Meaning the heart, the the love of God that you can have is not heat without light. It is not fervor and passion without light. He's going to find light here as knowledge. Notice what he says. But evermore, uh, these affections arise from the information of the understanding. Some spiritual instruction that the mind receives, some light or actual knowledge. Knowledge is the key that first opens the hard heart and enlarges the affections. And so opens the way for men into the kingdom of heaven. Knowledge is really is one of the starting spots where our love can deepen to know God. I think for many of us, we think of emotion and love and passion and knowledge as contradictory. And whatever Edwards does so masterfully is weave those together. In fact, Jesus does the same thing really as we think of uh, the mind. He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Uh, 
This is the first and the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all that you are. Your love for God and your mind are not contradictory places that, that are, in a sense, enemies toward one another. It is as you exercise your mind, as you know the word of God, and as you grow in your understanding of who God is, that your love for God will deepen. Emotion and understanding are not, in a sense, unrelated or not holding hands. They hold hands very greatly. And so Edwards, a great Puritan preacher, was perfectly willing to raise the affections and the emotions of whoever was listening as high as he could, as long as it was on the basis of truth, upon the word of God. And I think for many that come to our church, they, they realize that we are a church that preaches the word of God. I will tell you, uh, as you guys come here this morning, as you guys get involved with us, I will tell you part of our goal is for you at times to get tired head. All right. Uh, we want you guys to be pushed in your understanding of truth. All right. So if you guys jump into our Bible studies this semester, we're going to, uh, one of our main studies is a study called His Story. We're going to walk you guys through the storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We want you guys to know the scope of the revealed word of God. How does Genesis to Revelation fit together? What is the fabric or the threads that weave the storyline together? Even more, whether it's this Sunday through uh, Philippians uh, this semester, or whether it's going to be through our study of Colossians, it's not just that we want you guys to know the scope of the word of God, but we also want you guys to be uh, ingrained in the depth of it. We want you guys to go deep. We want to challenge you guys. We want you to push you guys to know the word of God because it's not just about a class with lesson objectives and a bunch of dogmas and doctrines. We want you guys to know God. And as you guys know God, we want you guys to fall deeper in love with God. And I'll tell you guys, as a church, that we're pretty good at that. Uh, we'll push you and we'll challenge you to grow. But I'll tell you guys, as a church, what we're not as good with is on the other side of that. And that's when it comes experience and emotion. And yet, if you love God, you're going to be pushed to know God, but you're also going to be pushed to walk with God and to love the things that he loves. And what Paul will do here is talk about not just that our love grows us in terms of knowledge, but it's also going to grow us in another arena. And he says this, notice back in verse 9, he says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. It's not just that walking with God is accumulating a bunch of facts. It's not about knowing all the right answers to questions. It's not about knowing uh, every book of the Bible. Uh, Walking with God, loving God is a pursuit of not just knowledge, but also discernment. Why does Paul add discernment alongside of love? Uh, As I was wrestling with it this week, for me, it felt kind of awkward. I can see how love and knowledge work together, but how does love and discernment fit together? What is Paul trying to say? I think for all of us, you and I are inevitably going to love something. The question often comes, what will we love? And why does it matter? Edward says this, and I think it's fascinating. He says, of the affections, he says, the author of human nature has not only given affections to men, but has made them very much the spring of men's actions. What you love will determine what you pursue. What you love will determine what you do. Your affections are the spring. It's the catapult that moves you and I to act. And he says, take away all love and hatred, all hope and fear, all anger, zeal, and affection, desire, and the world would be at a great measure motionless and dead. There would be no such thing as activity among mankind or any earnest pursuit whatsoever. I want you guys to hear me clearly. Affections are not wrong. (laughs) You and I were created to be passionate, to be zealous, to be excited, and, and to unleash our heart after things. And I think for so many of us, as we think about the spiritual life, we think about God, we think that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy who doesn't want to give you what you want. And that he just wants you, in a sense, struggling, suffering, unhappy, discontent, and just wasting away. (laughs) That sounds awesome, right? Um, I don't think God is anything like that, right? I don't think God at all wants to do that for us. What does God want to do? Uh, Ultimately, he's going to say this. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, uh, I want your love to abound still more and more in all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. 
Ultimately, what I think God wants us to do is to unleash our heart, but he wants, us to, he wants to come alongside us and teach us how to discern what our heart pursues after. You and I are going to always love something. That's why we do things. The question is, what will you love? And really what Paul will say here, I think it's really fascinating, is often our choices are not between what is bad and evil and what is good. But sometimes, and really where we struggle the most, is between choices of between that which is good and that which is best. He says, what I want you guys to do is I want your, your love to be added onto with discernment so that you will approve the things that are excellent. To approve uh, can be defined as so that you could conclude the worth of something. Some have defined wisdom and discernment as knowing the relative importance of things. I think what Paul is trying to do for you and I as we are pushed to love God more deeply is that we would learn in a sense that as we pursue God and as we love him more deeply, what we'll begin to find is that we begin to love the things that God loves. We begin to value the things that God values. That we begin to pursue the things that God pursues. That ultimately, what we love and what we pursue becomes the things that he cares most about. And ultimately, I think for us, the nature of our hearts are often to pursue things that are not the best, that are not the most worthy. Our hearts are inclined, whether you've trusted in Jesus Christ or not, until the day we see Jesus Christ return, our hearts are primarily inclined to pursue and to love self. I want to look out for number one. I want to take care of me, myself, and me, right? It's all about me. And that is the nature of our hearts. And what you and I have to have happen is we have to have God come alongside of us and begin to teach us and retrain our hearts to love that which is truly worthy and truly beautiful and truly important. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, my father had to put uh, his parents in a nursing home. So he had to sell their house and he had to sell a lot of their possessions because they couldn't take a lot of things with them. Um, both my parents, grandparents had dementia. And so there really was no more option for them. Uh, and as they were uh, preparing the house to be sold and really beginning to prepare a lot of their possessions to be sold, uh, they began to find in drawers and under mattresses like rolls of cash, all right? Uh, they had lived through the Great Depression, and so they were fearful of money in banks, fearful of uh, money being lost, and so they just hoarded in their house. There were just rolls of cash everywhere. It was like an Easter egg hunt for adults, all right? It was just awesome, all right? Um, but, but even more interesting to me was they also began to go through a lot of their possessions, and there was a whole bunch of just decor and vases and antiques that they didn't like the look of, they didn't think was valuable, and frankly, they were on the verge of just tossing in the trash. Uh, something told them to stop, something caused them to kind of have some hesitation, and they hired and they brought in an appraiser who walked through their house who was familiar with the decor of, in a sense, that generation and, and a lot of the decoration and the vases and helped my parents realize that some of the vases that they were on the verge of throwing away were worth tens of thousands of dollars, all right? The deal was my parents would never have known, though, unless they had someone else come alongside and help them begin to re-see value and, and what was truly worthy. I think for you and I, as we walk with God and as we love God, God is coming alongside of us, retraining our eyes to see what is truly beautiful and what is truly worthy and what is truly important. And our eyes and our hearts don't properly perceive those things. We have to hear from God and God comes alongside of us. And as we grow deeper in our love with him, we begin to love the things that he loves. We begin to deem valuable the things that he deems valuable. Not the things that our culture says are valuable. We begin to pursue different things. And ultimately leads us in a direction where we begin to find and to act in ways that are in accord with his purpose and his will. And our lives begin to change and they begin to look different. I think for many of us, what we find as Paul goes on is what Paul is going to say, I think fits with a lot of our expectations though. Notice what he says next. Why does he want us to pursue the things and approve the things that are excellent? He says, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. I think a lot of us think God is not just a cosmic killjoy, but I think a lot of us think that God is just concerned with your behavior. 
A lot of us think of the spiritual life as, hey, you need to do these things and you need to not do these things. If you can stay out of trouble and you can do Bible study, then you're a good Christian, right? And I think even what Paul is going to say here, it begins to sound that way, right? And he says, I want you to be sincere and blameless until the, the return of the day of Christ. So I got to be sincere and blameless until Christ returns. Well, I've botched that already, right? And so a lot of us get discouraged. A lot of us think, hey, if it's all about behavior. I can't change behavior. I can't live perfectly. And we get discouraged and we end up on the side of the road somewhere, uh, humbled, rejected, and thinking, I failed God and why try anymore? And I think for many of us, we get, re- we get a wrong perception of what God is exactly doing in our lives. Ultimately, God is leading toward a, re- a, a renovation of our lives that is absolutely transformational. Uh, he's going to say in verse, uh, verse 10 there that he wants us to be sincere and blameless. And so a lot of us go, yeah, God sees the outside, right? God sees my life. He sees the outside of my life. And he wants me to be sincere and blameless. He wants me to look the part. So we, we come to church on Sunday mornings. We have a, a certain Christian face. And then we go back to our normal lives and do uh, what is more normal and who we really are. And we go, hey, if I can just, in a sense, get this outside looking right, if I can dress up well, if I can have a certain kind of behavior, then God is going to be pleased with me. And I think for many of us, we've, we really have missed exactly what God is trying to do in our lives. In fact, God does see the outside. And what he sees in all of us is that we are absolutely wretched. <laughs> Every single one of us has failed to live up to the standard of God's holiness. None of us are perfect. All of us have failed. We failed in different ways. We failed in different places and in different times with different people. But we were all absolutely bankrupt and broken before God. None of us can merit his approval. None of us can be sincere and blameless. Absolutely none of us. You know, what God has done on our behalf in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, on, his, on a cross to die in our place is that what God gave you and I was a sentence that was entirely different. In fact, uh, the Gospels will talk about in a sense that our, our debt was nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ, that in a sense our penalty was paid, that we are no longer guilty if we know Jesus Christ and if we've trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins. That even though God sees the outside, what he really sees for those of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ is the shed blood of Christ upon us so that when God looks upon us, if we know Jesus Christ, his sentence upon us is not guilty, but it is forgiven. His sentence upon us is not guilty, it is forgiven because what he sees is the shed blood of Christ. In fact, for those of us who've trusted in Jesus Christ, he has declared us righteous. We are in right standing with God. We've been justified. We've been forgiven. And yet, you really look at our lives, we don't look that way, do we? <laughs> Even though he sentenced us and declared us to be righteous, how do we look? Whether we know Jesus Christ or not, we're all struggling. We're all imperfect. We're all groaning and, tr- and struggling and failing in some degree or in some fashion or another. And yet, what has God done? I think ultimately verse 11 really is the clincher and is really the upbeat encouragement. Verse 11, he says that he wants us to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Why or how? having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is Paul saying as this passage ends? What he's saying is that God is not so concerned with the outside because he's doing something inside that is going to bring a transformation even on the outside. What God is doing is bearing a fruit within you if you know Jesus Christ and it's a fruit of righteousness, that that which God has declared you to be on the outside, righteous, which you're actually not, God is working within you to become that. Imagery is great of that of a caterpillar going into a cocoon to emerge as a butterfly. When that caterpillar goes into that cocoon, there's no way any of us would say, hey, there's a butterfly, right? And yet what emerges out of that cocoon, what works itself from the inside out is a transformation that is so similar to what God is doing. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, then you are a sinner who's been declared forgiven. 
And in your declaration, he is now beginning to transform you to become what he has declared you to be. And so it's not about, in a sense, being exactly perfect on the outside. What it is about is learning and walking and loving God more deeply as he begins to transform you from the inside out. It begins a work in you that is all about a renovation and realize who is doing it. The fruit of righteousness which comes through who? Jesus Christ. To whose praise, whose recommendation, whose glorification? God. What God has called you to in the forgiveness of sins is something that he's done on your behalf. And what he's called you to in the aftermath of that is something that he's doing in and through you as well. Walking with God is all about what he's done on your behalf. It starts with grace and it continues with grace. It is always about grace. Grace always abounds over our failures and over our sins. As he slowly but surely works about a transformation in us, as we slowly but surely become what he's declared us to be. What I want to do as we end this morning is I want to call you guys to that truth and have you guys have a chance to worship and sing towards that truth. That God is doing something right now that is about a transformation inside that is going to work itself outside in you. That it is something that you cannot do yourselves. It is something that he's doing in and through you. And so I want you guys to have an opportunity to respond in worship, to sing towards that truth and towards that reality. A thousand times we've fallen short of your standards. So many times we've picked ourselves up off pavements, broken, humbled, rejected, discouraged. Father, I pray that you would remind us in that that we need a Savior. And we need someone that will come and pick us up and forgive us. And wipe the, the, the debt clean so that we can have freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. Father, I thank you that in the cross that you have done that for us. That you have taken away our shame and our guilt that you bared it in your death so that we wouldn't have to. And Father, I pray this morning, Lord, as we walk with you this semester, Lord, I pray that you would draw us to know you more deeply. For some to walk into a relationship with you for the first time, maybe even this morning, to say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to trust you. For Maybe for the first time that you would forgive me. For others, Lord, I pray that you would draw us to know you more deeply this semester, to know your word and to know your character and your person and your purposes, Lord. Father, I pray even more, Lord, that you wouldn't just grow us in accumulation of facts about you, Lord, but that we would know you. We would know your heart, that we would know your character, we would know your hand, that we would know your leading and your guiding of of your spirit, that you would draw us more closely to you. Father, I pray that you would cause us to love the things of you, uh, to value the things that you deem valuable, Lord, that you would transform our hearts, that you would bring about a renovation. Uh, of our very character and our very nature that we could honor you as we walk and that you could be exalted and that you could be honored. Father, I pray that you would do that for us this semester, that you would draw us nearer to you, uh, that you would pick us up, that you would transform us and that you would invite us forward, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.